Well, hello again. Before we dive into the sermon, let's pray together, shall we? God, thank you for speaking to us by your Spirit. Thank you that you have left us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. And thank you that you not only comfort us, but actively guide us by your Spirit who lives within us. So, Father, pour out your Spirit again on us now. Fill us with your Spirit that we might understand all you have for us from your Word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we're wrapping up our series uh, that we've been in for the last several weeks called Dear Church. It's a series that's been taking us through uh, Jesus' messages to those seven churches recorded in uh, chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. And I'm very thankful uh, to Dave Bast, a member of this church, friend and mentor of mine, for his help in this series. We've been preaching these messages kind of back and forth, and I'm, I'm grateful for uh, his part of this. These little letters, as we've been saying, are quite unique and powerful because they record Jesus uh, giving a message directly to a local congregation. And it's all premised on the fact that Jesus is here with us. He was there with those churches back then. He sees everything. He knows what's going on and has an opinion about those things. And, of course, we've seen that the messages to those churches weren't just for those churches alone, but really for all churches across time. So the powerful thing is when you put all of these letters together, you end up with seven marks of a church that are very important to Jesus. And today, of course, we look at the final letter of the seven, Jesus' letter uh, to the church in Laodicea. A look at these pictures. They're of the ruins of the church in Laodicea. And again, Thanks to Randy and Kathy McConnell for these pictures we've been using through the series. They're, they're of a trip um, to Turkey with Words of Hope, actually led by Dave Bast, and they accompanied uh, a larger group on this trip. Laodicea was an affluent city known for its wool and, interestingly, its eye salves, medication for one's eyes. Now, this city was in the south and was the leading city of its region. It was about 10 miles from Colossae and east of Ephesus. And while uh, there was no specific sin or theological error that Jesus uh, highlighted in this message to them, this is still the sternest of all seven of the letters. There is no praise and there is no encouragement. Uh, there's just the presentation of the problem, an invitation to repent, and the promise to those who are victorious. The letter begins with this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Notice that Amen is capitalized here. It's meant as a title. Jesus is the great Amen. So what does that even mean? <laughs> Our English word, Amen, is taken from a Hebrew word that means certainty or truth. So when we say amen, we're not just saying my prayer is over. We're actually making a statement. We're saying that was certainly true. It, it refers to uh, the kind of truth that is without question. Now, Jesus said this very clearly. Uh, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the great amen, the truth that is certain. I... Uh, I remembered as I was writing this kind of a funny experience I had in seminary 
it was my first year, and I found myself in a class where a professor kind of liked, liked to get the class riled up. And one morning, I could tell he was baiting us into a conversation about the nature of truth. And he just asked outrightly to the whole class, does anyone here believe in absolute truth? And nobody said anything. It, it was really quite funny. Nobody knew what to do with that. And he asked again, does, does anybody believe in absolute truth? And no one was answering, so uh, I knew I was taking his bait, but I raised my hand and I said, I do. I believe in absolute truth. And um, he kind of went off on that idea, and it, 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 was, it, was, it was a good conversation. Uh, but what he was trying to get at was the difference between objective truth. Um, well, I won't go into all this now, but you know, some people believe in objective truth, just this list of truths over here versus truth uh, understood in a different way. And, and finally, I clarified and said, I, I, I completely believe in absolute truth. His name is Jesus. And then the professor gave me this look like, oh, you're way ahead of me. And I kind of gave him this look like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then he kind of continued on, and we both kind of laughed and uh, got on with the conversation. Uh, but, but beyond being uh, kind of cute and philosophical about the name of truth being Jesus, I, I really believe that Jesus wants us to know that about him. He is the truth. So right at the beginning of this letter, Jesus is saying, remember, the message about to be delivered comes from him who is truth. And here's the problem seen by him who is truth. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. Right? These are strong words. And he's, he's telling them exactly what he thinks very clearly. Neither hot nor cold. Just lukewarm half-hearted, not whole-hearted. And then, and then he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I have a very disgusting illustration for this, but it gets the point across. Imagine licking cold sauerkraut out of a dirty ashtray. Right? That's what half-heartedness tastes like to Jesus, spit it out of my mouth. I mean, this, this letter, more than any of the other letters, hits home for us in our culture right where we live, you and me. I really believe this. John Stott described it perfectly. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. In the original language, the word for cold meant icy cold, and the word for hot meant boiling hot, meaning 
be fully committed to Christ or actively opposed to him because the message that Jesus brought to us allows really only those two options. I mean, it calls to mind that quote by C.S. Lewis in his great book, Mere Christianity. He writes this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the level, the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You are neither cold nor hot, says Jesus. I wish you were either one or the other. Now, I, I could keep talking, but I think the point is made. And anyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus and has tried to follow Christ in the culture in which we live, kind of Western North American culture, gets this. And we are keenly aware of our shortcomings. So what do we do? Well, gladly, Jesus included that part too. I counsel you, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and, and they with me. Jesus' plan is this, buy from him gold refined in the fire, white clothes to wear and salve for our eyes. Well, the gold refined by fire, of course, is the word of God. The scripture that accurately records the message of the apostles, white clothes to wear, that's the righteousness of, of Christ. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. You know, we don't, we don't just behave righteously as Christians. We receive righteousness from Jesus. He forgives us our wrongdoing and grants to us his perfect righteousness, white clothes to wear. And finally, salve for the eyes. This one struck a chord because Laodicea was known for that. And Jesus is saying to them, let me give you some real medicine for your eyes that will help you see straight, help you see spiritually. This is what you should do. And then he gives this reminder, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Remember, I'm telling you all of this for your own good, to guide you and bless you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I love you. In fact, if I didn't care, I wouldn't be telling you this. And then there comes this great invitation to repent that has been so often repeated. 
uh, and, and uh, portrayed in artwork. And as I read these words again, uh, look at one of those paintings, this one by William Holman Hunt, titled The Light of the World. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Take note in the painting. There's no door handle on the outside. Jesus is waiting to be invited in. He could force his way in, but he never does. His desire, the whole point really, is for us to come to the place where we desire to invite him in. And as you look at this painting, remember also the context in which Jesus spoke this invitation. These words were not directed to the larger world as a whole. They were spoken to Christians. Christians who were struggling in their faith, who had become apathetic, lukewarm, half-hearted in their commitment to Jesus. You can see the concern in his eyes. He says, would you open the door again? I'd love to come in and be close to you, eat with you, and you with me. Now, friends eat together, and Jesus is our friend. So be earnest and repent. Remembering that to repent literally means to change your mind, to change the way you think. Change your mind now about half-hearted commitment to Christ. We've got to push all in all the time, and that looks differently for each person. Right? It's really no way to live the half-hearted commitment to Christ, no way to live. The Lord wants us to have a much larger, closer, better life with him than that. All in is better because Jesus is everything, not just something. Or we've mentioned several times in this series that each of the letters concludes with a promise to those who are victorious. Now, there's a danger that we might leave thinking it's all up to us to get our lives straightened around so as to live a life that's pleasing to God, so as to become victorious in this life. To leave thinking that would be to miss the point entirely because that's anti-gospel, right? That message goes 180 degrees to the gospel. How do we triumph over the struggles in this life? According to the gospel, what is the path to victory? We encounter all sorts of things in life, suffering and temptation and doubt, outward opposition, spiritual opposition on the inside, the, the, the battle of the mind, the inner dialogue. And it feels like we live under a constant barrage of, of spiritual assault. So how do you triumph in this life? Well, the book of Revelation records that as well. Look at this from chapter 12. They, meaning the Christians, triumphed over him, meaning Satan, the devil, the adversary of our souls, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I mean, without a doubt, we all need to align our behavior and speech to our faith. 
That, that's a lifelong endeavor. But that's not what leads to victory, the, the kind of victory that Jesus means here. That's the working out of our faith in life, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, to, to use another verse from the Bible. See, God, God gives us the victory, says the book of Romans. And, and that victory is in the blood of the Lamb, meaning in and through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need to receive the forgiveness and the righteousness that Jesus offers to us. We need to make an initial commitment to Christ, of course, and we need to turn to Jesus every day to pursue that forgiveness and righteousness daily, not to be sure that we've received them, but to go on being filled with the Spirit, as Paul's letter to the Ephesians tells us to do. And also, as we share our stories of what Jesus has done for us with other people, there's there's an overcoming power there. There's a mutual encouragement that happens that helps us triumph over the legion of opposition we face in this life. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Jesus is the great amen, the truth that is certain. And Jesus is the path to victory and the one who gives us the victory. All Praise and honor and glory be to Jesus, really. He is worthy of our wholehearted commitment. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me. Jesus, help us. We, we feel it. We feel the draw away from you on a daily basis, an hourly basis, maybe a minute-by-minute minute kind of basis. We feel that draw away from you, and, and we don't want to take the bait. Help us, God. Help us return to you. Help us open that door to let you back in again, whatever that means for where we are right now. And show us by, by your Spirit what that does mean for us right now, and empower us to do it. Give us the courage to grab the door handle, turn, and open to you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you stand outside and just keep knocking. By your power, allow us, enable us to accept your invitation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, and we pray in your name. Amen.